Hey friends, and welcome to yet another episode of Wild Messy Infinite Love. My name is Eric Snader, and I just wanted to give a little disclaimer before the episode starts that I was actually recording this live while streaming on Twitch. So if I reference my Twitch channel, if I reference the listener as if they're actively listening to the podcast, it's because I was doing a live podcast. Um, So just wanted to give that disclaimer for you real quick before the episode starts. Um, It doesn't affect any of the content or or anything like that. And hopefully I'll get a chance to do that some more. But without further ado, here is another episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love. Hello and welcome back to yet another episode of Wild, Messy, Infinite Love. My name is Eric Snader. I am your host and the creator, producer of this wonderful, cool little experimental podcast that I'm doing. Um, This week's episode is episode 19 and it is called Video Game Spirituality Part 1, The Monomyth of Ocarina of Time. And we will be talking about that for sure. But first, I want to just check in with you to let you know what's been going on. Um, So last podcast I released was towards the end of October, middle to end of October. um, And it was just sort of unpacking and reflecting on the summer that I had. And now that it's been a couple weeks, I've been able to start working through some podcast material to actually be producing weekly. And since then, I've been doing a lot of different stuff. Um, So as you know, I'm an admissions counselor at Randolph-Macon College. I've since wrapped up my travel season, so I'm no longer going to college fairs and high school visits, and I'm in the office regularly, 8.30 to 5 p.m. Um, So I actually have normal manageable hours, so I can actually plan to get podcasts written and recorded and all that kind of stuff. Um, Fun fact about this one, this is actually a live podcast on my Twitch channel, which you are more than happy to go to and watch if you want to. Um, If you're listening to this on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and that kind of stuff later this week, that's totally fine. Um, Feel free to follow my Twitch channel. It is twitch.com backslash brothersnades. That's B-R-O-T-H-E-R-S-N-A-D-E-S. Sorry for those who are watching right now on Twitch. Um, But I'll probably be doing more of these in the future. So if you want to do like a live podcast where you get to engage with what I'm talking about live, please feel free to do so. Um, What else? What else? What else? What else? What else? So I have a normal schedule now. So I am actually able to regularly create and produce podcasts. So the plan is moving forward from here to have a weekly podcast podcast. I know this one's probably going to be coming out on a weird day. I think the plan is to be coming out with them every Monday morning. That's U.S. Eastern time Monday morning, like seven, eight o'clock in the morning. So people who want to listen to it on their commute into work have the ability to do so. If anyone wants to listen to my podcast on the way to work, I hope you do. I hope it's cool. I hope it's fun. Um, what else has happened? Um, I set up a Patreon account. So not only do I have a Twitch channel where I'm streaming live content, but I also have a Patreon account, which you can go on to and become a patron, um, where that's basically you are becoming a subscriber, um, similar to a subscriber model on Twitch, where you pay a set amount of money a month and you get access to 
some extra content that I'm going to be producing that I'm going to be giving out to people who are subscribing to my content. It's also the best way that you can support the work that I'm doing. So the best way to continue supporting the podcast. Um, so I don't have to like throw in tons of ads or anything like that. The best way that you can be supporting me in my live Twitch channel and, you know, streaming and doing this sort of live podcast thing, um, either subscribing on Twitch or subscribing on my Patreon page, which again is patreon.com backslash brothersnades. Um, I'll put all the links and that kind of stuff in the um, info of the episode. Um, but that's really the best way to um, support the podcast. Obviously, you can go onto my Facebook page or my Instagram page um, or my Twitter page, which are all synced up to that same Brother Snades title. Um, I recently went through rebranding. Um, so that's, that's the best way to support the podcast, but that also gets you some access to some different content. Um, so for instance, Patreon subscribers and Twitch subscribers, um, get access to what I plan to be a bi-monthly, um, a bi-monthly short story. So twice a month, I'm hoping to release a short story that's available for, um, Patreon subscribers and Twitch subscribers to be able to read. There'll be short stories written by yours truly. One of my passions is writing, so I want to be able to do some of that and create some of that and give it to you to enjoy. Um, So that'll be available to my Twitch and Patreon subscribers. And then in addition, um, I'm hoping to do like subscriber Sundays and that kind of stuff where um, there will be some opportunities for subscribers to engage with me in in a more intimate manner, whether that's like um, another more intimate live podcast setting. Um, it could possibly be streaming a game of Dota with you or, you know, whatever, whatever that might look like. Obviously my Sundays are kind of up in the air cause weekends are really the only time that we get to like clean the house and spend time together, me and my wife, um, do family stuff, all that kind of stuff. So my schedule is kind of all over the place when it comes to weekends, but I'm hoping to be able to pick some Saturdays and Sundays where I get to do stuff specifically with subscribers to thank you for supporting all of my stuff. I just talked a really long time about you subscribing to my shit. If you don't want to subscribe, don't do it. Whatever. Enjoy this for free if you want. Um, But if you want to support, cool. That's fine. Um, All that good stuff. I also went to a... Um, podcast festival called DC Podfest, where I got to meet a bunch of cool other people who are in the field of podcasting. And that was really inspiring and helpful um, in, you know, helping me to sort of find my footing in this field. Because even though I've been doing it since January, I still feel like I'm brand spanking new. Um, So that's cool. So I'm excited to be able to utilize some of the stuff that I learned from that in my podcast and in my streaming channel and all that kind of stuff. So that's super exciting. Um, The other big announcement that I have for you is I am doing a fundraiser. So um, to get back to that like whole donating and subscribing thing, um, for the month of November, you might have seen this on my Instagram channel, I am doing No Shave November. So normally I'm pretty, um, pretty furry around the jaw, but the past 12 days... 
I've been letting it grow. I shaved it on uh, Halloween evening and I've been letting it grow in the hopes of raising money for testicular cancer awareness, which is what the whole No Shave November thing was about in the first place. Um, So all the proceeds that I get from Twitch subscriptions, from Patreon subscriptions, from donations on Twitch, from random donations through PayPal, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm going to be donating all that money to the American Cancer Society at the end of the month. I'll probably live stream me and my wife going over and handing them a check and all that kind of stuff so that you can actually see that I'm doing it. So if you want to support me in that way as well, please feel free to do so. Not only do you get access to cool content, but you're also putting your money towards a good cause. So that's most of my announcements. Like I said, it's been a little while. Sorry, that was really long. That was probably what, like five minutes of me just rambling on about, hey, go to my Patreon and subscribe. Like I said, this is ad-free for a reason. Um, I realize that not everyone can spend money to support small creative content like this. So if you want to enjoy it for free, enjoy it for free. No harm to you. Um, But without further ado, this episode is not called Eric tells you all about the different ways that you can support him. This episode is called Episode 19, Video Game Spirituality Part 1, which means there'll probably be more parts to this. Um, Part 1, the monomyth of Ocarina of Time. So, everyone, let's talk about it. So, oh my god, that was such an awkward intro. Um, So, many of you might be asking at this point, Eric, what is a monomyth? Some of you may be asking, Eric, what is Ocarina of Time? Well, today you will get to learn what both of those are. So I want to start with the first part of that title, the monomyth. Now, the monomyth is a title that was coined by none other than Joseph Campbell. And Joseph Campbell was a master of mythology and anthropology, and he did a lot of work in comparing ancient myth and how it relates to to our current lives. He, He relates ancient myth to how it's similar, if not an exact replicated narrative of many modern religions, of many modern experiences. Um, So that's sort of his thing. He was taking like these Greek myths and saying, right, this is the myth of Hercules, but we're all Hercules. And these pieces and these tropes that are found within Hercules are also found within our modern major religions. They're also found within our workplaces. They're also found within our family structure and our systems today. They're also found within ourselves. So that's sort of the area and space that Joseph Campbell occupied. And now I don't, I need to use this disclaimer. I am not a Joseph Campbell expert. I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan. Anytime anyone talks about Joseph Campbell, I'm like fangirling. I love the guy. Um, I love the work that he did. 
but that doesn't make me an expert. So if you want to learn more about this, I'm going to do like a very dumbed down version of this monomyth or you may have heard of it as the hero's journey. I'm doing a more dumbed down version of it because I need the more dumbed down version of it. But if you want to dig more into this, there are lots and lots of good resources out there, um, including the the source material hero with a thousand faces, which I really enjoy, but it's also pretty dense and pretty thick and pretty tough to get through. Um, hence why I need the dumbed down version. So anyway, so Joseph Smith sort of occupied this space and this place where myth and reality were much more unified and were in fact telling the same narrative and the same story. Um, and he defined this monomyth as, he coined it as the hero's journey. So um, you may have heard about the hero's journey before. The reason he calls it a monomyth is because as his work entails, myth and reality are much closer and much more similar than uh, most people would let on and most people would be willing to admit. So the monomyth is sort of the singular story that we all inhabit and that we all experience in some way, shape, or form. And it's called the hero's journey or the monomyth. They're sort of synonymous. And this hero's journey or this monomyth is sort of the path to growth, the path to expansion, the path to becoming who we're truly meant to be, the path to um, becoming a more whole version of yourself. Um, this is the path of redemption. This is the path of grace. This is the path of struggle and trials and errors and growing through all of that to expand your bubble from this size, the small cranial space to all of a sudden expanding beyond oneself, if that makes sense. So the hero's journey has a couple different key elements to it. It has, let me count here real quick, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight, count that, eight, um, eight key elements to it. There is the call to adventure, which is sort of um, this call to the hero to leave the space that they are inhabiting. This also often um, encapsulates and includes some sort of fear, some sort of resistance to wanting to leave the familiar to go into the unfamiliar. Um, the second key element is supernatural aid. So somewhere along this path of leaving the familiar to the unfamiliar world or the unknown world, um, there's some sort of supernatural aid, whether it's a goddess, um, a, a messenger of the gods, uh, a, a gift of the gods, um, something, something supernatural is given to the hero in order to help them succeed in their journey from the known world into the unknown world. Um, in addition, there's some sort of threshold guardian. So um, there's some sort of guardian or some sort of being that stands at the boundary between the unknown world and the known world. And the hero has to pass through that guardian. They need to pass through that threshold to symbolize moving from this known familiar space where they've grown up, where their world is fully contained in and moving into the unknown and moving into that place of expansion and growth. Um, 
after the hero passes through the threshold of the guardians, um, they are faced with challenges and temptations. They are um, given a difficult task to complete that they initially fail. They are told that they're not good enough. They have um, some sort of dark path that they need to traverse. They're tempted to run back and return to the familiar world and give up on their journey or their quest. Um, After the challenges and temptations, we come to our fifth key element. One, two, three, four. Yes, our fifth key element, which is abyss, death, and rebirth. Um, One of the really interesting things about a lot of myths and mythology, there are a lot of stories that require the heroes to go down into the depths of the earth, go down into the depths of their emotions, go down into the depths of death. And while they're in that moment, they themselves die. Um, So whether it's a death of the spirit, it might be the death of, um, I don't know, the death of graduating from high school and moving on to college, that sort of death, that sort of change. There's some sort, you walk into some sort of abyss that is the ultimate trial and tribulation. You experience some sort of death. You experience some sort of shedding of the old self. And in that moment, you are reborn. So there's a rebirth. There's a death and then there's a rebirth. There's a redemption. There's some sort of resurrection. Um you know, all this kind of stuff. After the rebirth, there's a sincere transformation, which is the sixth key element. So um, there's some sort of transformation that happens where you're no longer the old self. You're no longer this person who left the world of the familiar. You're a different person. You've transformed, you've grown, you've expanded, you've shed some sort of um, capsule and come out a more expansive, a stronger, better individual, a more whole individual, whatever you might have. Like I said, not an expert on Joseph Campbell, very dumbed down version. Um, after the transformation, there's some sort of atonement. So in that abyss and that death and that rebirth, there's some also normally some sort of failure, some sort of critical failure where the mission is lost, everything is lost. Um, it's all hopeless. There is no hope. In that death, rebirth, transformation, hope is rekindled and there's some sort of moment of atonement where the hero atones for their sins, the hero atones for their failure. Um, They conquer their fear, they conquer the abyss, they conquer that death. And then eventually the hero returns from the unfamiliar back to the familiar. Um, oftentimes with some sort of gift of the goddess um, to symbolize coming from the unfamiliar, the supernatural, the realm of the gods to return to the realm of humanity, to return to the realm of the profane, so to speak. Um, So those are the key elements of the hero's journey. And I want to look at that through two different lenses. The first one being the Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time, arguably one of the greatest games ever created. Um, If you have never played Ocarina of Time, if you know nothing about Ocarina of Time, please, whatever you do, stop this video, stop watching this, go over to YouTube and 
look up Ocarina of Time. It is an absolutely incredible game. Um, go out and buy a Nintendo 64 just to play that game. It is mind-blowingly good, um, especially for the time that it was created. Incredible. Um, so I'm going to look at the hero's journey through this Ocarina of Time. For those of you who are video game fans like myself, this might be helpful with connecting these themes and these ideas to you. Um, I also want to look at it through... Um, the lens of religion, particularly Christianity, which is sort of the household that I come from, which is also a way that makes this hero's journey understandable and approachable and sort of communicable to you as an individual. Um, and then I am going to be talking about sort of why should we care about the hero's journey? Cool. This is cool. Joseph Campbell came up with some cool things and made some neat connections. Wonderful. What does that have to do with me here in the 21st century, living wherever I live, um, you know, with global warming and climate change and nationalism on the rise and everything else that's happening in the world? You know, why, why should I care about any of this? We're going to talk about that. So um, first, let's talk about Ocarina of Time um, because that's sort of the main lens that I want to focus on um, because it makes it a little more approachable. So the monomyth through the realm of Ocarina of Time. So the story of Ocarina of Time is um, a fairly classic Legend of Zelda game. You have the main hero, Link. Um, he is tasked with um, going to a bunch of different temples, figuring out a bunch of dungeons and puzzles, um, and saving the princess, essentially, from Ganondorf. And he eventually conquers and vanquishes Ganondorf and everybody is safe and sound and Zelda ends up living. The princess is named Zelda, by the way. Um, pretty typical Legend of Zelda game, but there are some unique um, similarities to the hero's journey, let's say. So first, at the beginning of Ocarina of Time, we have this call to adventure. So the game starts out right away with this young kid, it's Link, um, who's having this nightmare and all of a sudden he, he receives this like premonition almost from um, the forest guardian. The forest guardian's name is the Great Deku Tree. Um, and he receives this call from the Great Deku Tree to leave his home and enter into the big world, which he really has no prior knowledge of. We're like directly launched into this moment of the call to adventure where the great Teku tree basically says the world is in peril and we need you. Um, following this call to adventure, Link is understandably pretty shook. Um, so he sort of bumbles around Kokiri forest um, until he is met by a fairy by the name of Navi. And Navi represents the second... Um, key element of the hero journey, hero's journey, which is supernatural aid. So Navi is a fairy who is sent by the great Deku tree to aid Link in his quest. So Navi initially um, aids Link in finding the equipment that he needs and a sword and a shield. Um, and then she also aids him in entering into the great Deku tree and defeating the evil that is within this forest guardian. 
Hey, Liz, what's up? Okay. Yeah? My wife is just coming in. No worries. Say hi. hi. I don't know if they heard you. Say hi louder. Hi. She's so cute. Um, oh, dear Lord. She's pulling out all of our Christmas decorations. She's getting super stoked about it, even though I said we'll do it this weekend. She doesn't like waiting. That's okay. She's cute, and I love her anyway. Um, so anyway, so Navi represents this supernatural aid that's given to Link, and she actually um, is this supernatural gift that continues to go with Link throughout his entire quest and his entire journey, which is often what the supernatural aid is, especially when it's in the form of a gift, um, in the form of some sort of heavenly boon, as it were. Um, it continues to go with the hero throughout their entire quest and often becomes a vital part of the hero fulfilling their quest. And Navi is no different. Um, she fulfills this by helping him find equipment. She fulfills this by helping him know how to defeat enemies and giving him, giving the, the player useful hints that they have no idea what they're supposed to do next or figuring out puzzles and all this kind of stuff. So she is the embodiment of this supernatural aid. So following Link's defeat of the evil... Um, what is it, King of Bora Bora? Some like huge evil spider thing. I'm not super familiar with all of the names. I apologize. I'm not that big of a fan. I love Legend of Zelda. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. Um, I don't know all of the bosses' names, unfortunately. Um, so anyway, after defeating the great evil and the great Deku Tree, the great Deku Tree actually dies and sends Link beyond this familiar world. So not only was Link drawn out of the unfamiliar world of his individual community in the Kokiri Forest, which is where Link grew up, he was drawn into this unfamiliar of being in contact with this supernatural being, this forest guardian. And then he's called even further to lead the Kokiri Forest entirely to enter into the big, wide world of Hyrule. So Link, as the dutiful hero, accepts the call to adventure and leaves the Kokiri Forest. Um, and when he leaves the Kokiri Forest, he's given another supernatural aid. He's given an ocarina, which continues to aid him throughout his quest as well. Um, from a particular threshold guardian um, named Saria. And she proves to be one of the sages um, later on in the game. The player doesn't know that at the time. Sort of um, going off on a tangent. Um Link then meets yet another threshold guardian before entering into Hyrule Field, which is sort of like the big central area that connects um, Kokiri Forest and Hyrule Castle and all this other stuff in um, the world of Hyrule together. And he meets this owl named Kapora Gabora. Um, and it's this giant owl who stops and talks to him and says, are you ready to face the trials, basically? And it's interesting at both the moment when he receives the ocarina from Saria and also when he meets this owl, Kapora Gabora, who is um, an animal embodiment of another sage named Ravru. Um, the player actually has to stop and watch 
a cutscene. It's as if to say even the creators of the game are saying, you're leaving the world of the familiar and passing through this very significant threshold. Um, So following the threshold, Link is thrust into a various amount of challenges and temptations and trials and tribulations. So Link is um, called to go to two other dungeons and collect these sacred stones in order to protect them from the antagonist Ganondorf, who is this evil wizard warlock who comes out of the desert, who comes out of the land of death and brings death with him. Um, he's a power-seeking guy. At, at the time, through these um, challenges and temptations, Link also meets Princess Zelda. At this point, they are both children. This is an important aspect of this game in particular. Um, but anyway, so he's faced with these challenges and these temptations to go and unite these elemental stones in order to protect them from Ganondorf. And in the process, he meets more sages and meets more of these supernatural entities who will play a major role and a major part of the continued quest of Link. Um, so he, he faces these challenges and temptations. He goes to the Gorons and um, he faces the Fire Temple and not the Fire Temple. He faces Death Mountain and he faces Dodongo Dongo, which is the fire lizard. And he goes to Zora's domain and he meets Princess Rudo and he saves um, the Zoras and saves King Jabu Jabu and all this kind of stuff. And he unites the elemental stones. He fulfills this part of the quest. But in that moment of fulfillment, that's when it transitions from challenges and temptations into abyss and death. So when Link unites the elemental stones, he's told to go to the Temple of Time, which is the sacred temple that's just outside of Hyrule Castle. Um and he's told, take the stones there, they'll be kept safe there. And when he goes there, he accidentally opens up a portal to the sacred realm, which is where the Triforce is held. This is going to sound pretty nerdy and pretty like, um, but he opens up this portal to the sacred realm, which Ganondorf is trying to get into because he's trying to take the Triforce. He's trying to basically become a god and have all the power of the goddesses of Hyrule. And he is able to take the Triforce. Unfortunately, he's not able to hold the Triforce and the Triforce actually splits. Um, So there's this death and this abyss that Link enters into because all of a sudden Ganondorf is triumphant. Um, And Link has failed his quest. He's failed Princess Zelda. The sages have failed um, until there is... A rebirth. Um, the sages manage to lock Link into the sacred realm for seven years. Um, and Link is reborn in this moment. Um, Link has failed, but they manage to preserve his soul to be reborn and to be reincarnated and to come back and be transformed Um somewhere in the future so that the quest's ultimate goal can be realized. In this moment of hopelessness, 
Link is somehow able to be reborn. Um, and there's this literal transform transformation where he goes from being a child to being what's called adult link and that's that sort of transformation in addition to that he's given the gift of the master sword which is the sacred sword that's meant to seal darkness um the sword that is meant to be able to defeat defeat the power of ganondorf so there's this quite literal transformation of link um, that comes after this death and it only comes after this death and this failure and this rebirth and transformation embolden Link with the skills that he needs to go out and go into this next step, which is atonement. Um, so when Ganon took over the Sacred Realm, he also took over Hyrule. So he had unlimited power and he was able to capture all of the sages who are like the keepers of the Sacred Realm. And he's able to imprison them. Um, and he creates a world of darkness. Um, it's interesting when you leave the Temple of Time, it was once in the middle of this flourishing town where there were tons of people. And when you leave, the sky is completely dark and it's full of zombies and death. Um, so this is the, the literal failure in front of Link's eyes and he must atone for it. So he sets on a quest to reunite all of the seven sages. So he goes to five different temples. He goes to the forest temple and frees Saria. He goes to the fire temple and frees um, Darunia, who's the Goron sage, the fire sage. He goes to... Um, Lake Hylian, Zoro's domain, and frees Princess Rudo, another friend he met in his youth, who is also a sage. He meets, um, he frees Impa, who um, is a character that you meet um, in, what is that? What is that? In the Shadow Temple in Kakariko Village. Um, he goes to the Spirit Temple and frees. Um, the spirit sage whose name is escaping me at the moment. Um, if you're in here in chat and listening, please feel free to let me know. Um, but he goes to Gerudo Valley and frees the spirit sage and eventually he reunites these sages. And when he's able to reunite these sages, they're able to defeat Ganondorf. Not only that, Link is able to also save the princess. Um, so there's this atonement and not Another another aspect to this atonement is since the Triforce got separated, it got separated into three particular individuals. So the Triforce is split into three different parts. There's the Triforce of Power, there's the Triforce of Wisdom, and there's the Triforce of Courage. And these Triforce pieces became embodied in particular individuals in this game. So Ganondorf became the embodiment of the Triforce of Power. Zelda became the embodiment of the Triforce of Wisdom, and Link became the embodiment of the Triforce of Courage. So also in this atonement is this reuniting of the Triforce as well. When they're able to defeat Ganon, the Triforce is once again whole and able to return to the Sacred Realm. The sages are able to return to their duty of keeping watch over the Sacred Realm. Um in addition, after this atonement, Link is also sent back to return to his original world, to the world of the familiar. Um, so at the end of the game, after defeating Ganondorf, there's a scene between 
Link and Zelda, where Zelda gives Link the sacred ocarina. It's called the Ocarina of Time. Um, you get it about halfway through the game. Um, but she gives him her ocarina, this ocarina of time, um, as the gift of the goddess to symbolize that he has been to the supernatural world. But then she sends him back to relive his childhood basically basically at the end of the game she's like yeah sorry we kind of took your childhood away by sending you on this foolish quest um and actually helping ganondorf find all this stuff so we're sorry about that so we're going to send you back um, to this world of the familiar but naturally when link returns to the world of the familiar it's not big enough for him anymore he's seen the world of hyrule he's been to all these places he's expanded and grown as an individual so all of a sudden his world is phenomenally bigger than what it used to be and that actually sets up sort of one of the sequels to ocarina of time which is majora's mask where link basically like says peace i'm out um but yeah, so that's the hero's journey through Ocarina of Time. I hope that made sense, especially for those of you who are big Zelda fans, who are big fans of like all this Zelda lore and the Triforce and Link and Zelda and Ganondorf. And one of the really, sorry, one quick last thing. One of the really interesting things about this hero's journey in Zelda is that it's continually rehashed in different ways and in different light throughout the Zelda games. I read this really interesting article that talked about the hero's journey in the game Wind Waker, um, which is another Legend of Zelda game. Um, I was reading it and I was nodding along. I was like, yeah, this is totally the same thing. Um, And just like this story is replicated time and time and time again in things like Legend of Zelda, in mythology, in these popular stories like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings that we continually read and reread and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Just like it's rehashed in all these ways, it's also continually rehashed in us because ultimately this is the path of growth. We're continually pulled out of our familiar world and placed into the unfamiliar. And somehow in that process of change, in that process of death and rebirth, in that process of atonement and transformation, we grow and we expand. And that's ultimately what makes the hero's journey so impactful. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. I also want to look at this hero's journey through the lens of religion. Um, For those of you who aren't video game people, um, who are more like spirituality, religious people, um, let's talk about it in that sense too. So um, another individual who we see the hero's journey through is the individual of Jesus. Shocker. Um, So like I said, I come from a Christian background. Um, That's sort of my area of expertise. That's sort of the vocabulary that I use, the vocabulary that I'm familiar with. Um, Not that this is necessarily just found within Christianity. It's found all over the place, all over the world, across religions, across nationalities, across culturals, cultures and heritage and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So anyway, Jesus embodies this sort of hero's journey as well. So the first part, the call to adventure Um, In the New Testament Gospels, the very beginning of Jesus's ministry is 
um, predicated by Jesus having this moment of baptism in the Jordan River and then instantly being called out into the wilderness. So Jesus is literally, he grows up in Israel. He grows up in this land east. Is it east? No. He grows up in this land west of the Jordan and he's instantly called out to the wilderness east of the Jordan. He's called from the familiar world to the unfamiliar world. And while he's in that unfamiliar world, he receives supernatural. He he goes through trials and temptations. Um, he goes through. Um, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm forgetting the gift of the goddess. Um, my apologies. So he has this moment of baptism, and he receives this gift of the goddess in the form of um, what a lot of people consider one of the few instances of the Trinity in the Bible, where. Um, basically like this light shines down and this voice from heaven speaks and this dove lands on his shoulder and it basically says this is my son in whom i well pleased um listen to him he knows what he's talking about he knows his shit basically um so this gift of the goddess is this like recognition of this person has something about them this person is special um, and people can recognize that. So that's sort of this gift of the goddess. So then he's called out into the wilderness and he experiences trials and temptations um, at, the, at the hand of the devil. And he overcomes these trials and temptations. He overcomes this moment of, um, yeah, this moment of temptation. And he receives yet again supernatural aid from the angels who care for him, who feed him, um, you know, who bring him basically back to the world of the living. So that's in and of itself, that very beginning to Jesus's ministry is almost like a little mini hero's journey because he enters into the wilderness, he goes through that land of death, and he returns. Um, so he returns back to the Jordan, an expanded individual, and he commences his ministry. Um, and he's continually called around um, Samaria and Judea um, and beyond to Galilee um, to talk to people and to um, help people and to love on people and to show people um, the path of spirituality and the path of contemplation and the path of being rooted in something bigger than yourself and being tapped into this deep spirit of love, which courses through all things. And he goes through another moment of temptations and trials where he's continually confronted by the religious elite and the spiritual guides of the time who are basically saying, you're wrong and we're going to kill you for it. And he's continually confronted with people like this. And eventually he is killed for it and he quite literally enters into the abyss he quite literally enters into death and he rises again and in that resurrection jesus is once again transformed into like this divine being who can all of a sudden appear at will he's got these new superpowers basically where he can appear at will and he could disappear at will and he could walk through walls and you know he could do all this sort of stuff he could fly around um probably do magic tricks and all that kind of stuff i don't know he's jesus he can do whatever i don't know um and this transformation sort of symbolizes also wrapped up with it the atonement from evil and sin. 
Um, so a lot of religious discussion talks about how Jesus had to die in order to atone for sin. Um, this is sort of wrapped up in that because this transformation brings about with it that atonement, not only for Jesus, but for Jesus's followers as well. And eventually Jesus returns to heaven, leaving the gift of the goddess, leaving the gift of the spirit upon his disciples, which then manifests itself in um, the story of Pentecost Pentecost in the book of Acts. Um, but Jesus is sort of viewed as this divine being who leaves the familiar of heaven, comes to earth um, because of this call to adventure, basically, does a bunch of cool stuff, goes through trials and temptations, dies, rises again, and is transformed. And then that transformation also brings about atonement and grace and forgiveness and love and a more radical view of what love and grace and forgiveness looks like. And then he returns back home, leaving a gift for the rest of us. Now, like I said, that's sort of the Christian vocabulary and the Christian perspective of this hero's journey through the image of Jesus. That's not the only one. If you follow a different religion, if you follow a different spiritual leader, if you follow something else, you know, that's fine. You do you. You do what works for you. I'm not going to step on your toes. But be on the lookout for how this hero's journey, this monomyth also is brought to light in your own story and your own narrative and your own religious experience because chances are it probably is because Joseph Campbell was a really, 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 really smart guy. Um, so getting back to why this is compelling because it's continually rehashed in the, in the Zelda tales. It's continually rehashed in the story of Jesus. It's continually rehashed in each and every one of us as well. Um, this is the journey that we all go on. Um, this is, you know, the journey of high school, going from middle school into high school and becoming an adolescent and learning more about yourself and learning more about who you are as an individual. And then you leave high school and go into college and it's almost like there's this death of who you are and this death of your old friends and your old life and you enter into this new unfamiliar world and all of a sudden you're growing again and you're facing temptations and trials and you're shedding who you once were and becoming someone else. And it continues after college, after you graduate from college. One of the crazy things that I reflect on is like when I graduated from college, I was like, oh yeah, I know who I am. I'm a completely different person than when I was in high school. I'm a completely different person than I was when I first came here to college. I know everything about life. Guess what? The past five years have been years of significant growth and exploration and discovery for me. And it's been filled with this continual call to leave what I once knew, to go into this unknown, to go into this space and place of maybe not knowing who I am or not knowing how I'm going to react, not necessarily knowing what that next step is. And there's trials and there's temptations and there's anxiety and there's despair and there's a death where some old part of myself is shed and something new grows from that. This is the story of growth. This is the story of transformation, a sanctification, a forward progress, etc., etc., etc. It's a story that we all are a part of. 
when we break free of our comfort zones, when we expand our understanding, when we take time to listen to each other, um, you know, that that's the cycle of leaving the family farm and journeying into the unknown. Oftentimes it's scary. It's challenging. It throws us to the floor. It even feels as though we're dying to our old self and being transformed into a new self. <clears throat> Looking at you, New Testament. Um, but when we progress through the trials and the rebirth, it's as though we discover a sparkling gift that enthralls us. There's a gem of utter beauty which lies deep within us and it's only uncovered by the trials and tribulations and hard work of expanding our boundaries and understanding ourselves and others and our universe. And once we obtain this pearl of great price, once we obtain this gem of utter beauty, we really can never go back to living without it and that's ultimately what this monomyth this hero's journey is about this is what the legend of zelda teaches us this is what jesus teaches us because going through this process of growth it's not just to see something new transform it's we discover something deep within us we discover the gem of this deep spirit of love which courses through all things at all times. That's why it's so important. Because when we discover it, we can't go back to living without it. That is episode 19, Video Game Spirituality, Part 1, The Monomyth and Ocarina of Time. Peace and love, y'all.